Welcome to The Jump Around with Blake Dudonis. I am Blake Dudonis. Thank you so much for joining me here. I am absolutely thrilled to be getting this pilot episode out to you all, and I hope you enjoy it. And since this is the pilot episode, a little explanation of what the goal is and kind of what our approach is here with The Jump Around. Now, what we want to do is not only talk to interesting voices in women's college basketball in the WNBA, but we also want to have a little bit more fun. We don't want to ask the standard questions of, you know, tell us about your team, tell us about what's going on. And there will be some of that for sure. But ultimately, we want to get to know people a little bit better. We want to laugh a little bit. We want to tell deeper stories if we can. And ideally, that's going to involve two, three, four other people sitting around a table with me and us be able to be spontaneous and yeah, it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be cookie cutter. It's not going to be, you know, perfectly concise. We're going to mispronounce words. We're going to ask bad questions, and we're just going to roll with it. Now, obviously, being the first episode, uh, my ideal of people sitting around this table is has failed, and I'm sitting here by myself, and we're just going to roll with it. Now, that is with the NCAA tournament starting. That's because a lot of teams are preparing and getting ready for their games, but this episode is going to feature a couple of interviews with some interesting people around the women's basketball world, and hopefully you enjoy it. Hopefully you stick with us, because when we go forward in in a couple weeks, and we're at the Final Four, we're going to have people sitting down with us, and you're going to get to see sides of them you haven't seen before. So hopefully these interviews will make you think, uh, they'll make you laugh a little bit, We've got Kelly Graves, the head coach of the Oregon Ducks, joining us today. We've also got Jose Fernandez, the head coach of South Florida. And we also have Jason Flowers, the head coach of Cal State Northridge. Uh, We figured that with the men's NCAA tournament starting today, we'd get things going here with the men. And then tomorrow, uh, we're going to be fortunate to be joined with two great pioneers and big names in the women's game. Uh, Both women are, are fun and different, and we think you'll enjoy that. So... Thanks for joining us here on The Jump Around, and we're going to take a a quick break and then get right to it, and I mean, for you, it's going to be like a two-second break, so it's perfect. All right, I'm Blake Dunas. And we're back on The Jump Around with Blake Dunas, and joining me now is a guy who has led his team to their first ever Pac-12 championship. They're the two-seed in the Spokane region, he's been kind of a meteoric rising through the coaching ranks kind of coach. It's Kelly Gray's with the Oregon Ducks. And coach, what I want to ask you to start things, and, and thank you for joining us, is so oh, much so much been made of your success at Oregon and Gonzaga and St. Mary's. Was there ever a point, maybe early in your career, where there was uh, maybe a, a low point, um, and you can kind of take that as it is, but you know, it's, it seems so much good, good, good lately, but was there ever a downtime in your coaching career? Oh, sure. I mean, uh, even here at the university of Oregon, you know, that first year, I, I kind of questioned a, whether I really could coach or B if I had made the right move. Um, you know, I think we all go through that and thank goodness, you know, I have a lot of good friends in the coaching business that uh, either talked me off the ledge or, you know, built me up or said, hey, you, you know, you did the right thing, stick with it. Um, you know, when I left St. Mary's to go to Gonzaga, uh, same thing. I left uh, one of the best programs on the West Coast uh, that we had built in a short period of time at St. Mary's. And the first year at Gonzaga, you know, we went 5-23, and 23, I think, and 0-14 and in league. And I always tell people, don't let that record fool you. We weren't that good, you know. <laughs> and uh, it, you know, and it was tough. And again, you question whether you made the right move, or uh, you know. And then even my first job at Big Bend Community College, uh, you know, same same thing. It, it, it always took over programs that hadn't had a lot of success and and had to build them up. So I've had some uh, some experience doing that. But sure, I think that's natural for any coach, you know, and not just being the game, but sometimes bigger picture. Sure. But, um, you know, I've always been blessed with a great staff, and they've, uh, you know, always been a great support system. And, and like I said, I rely on, on some coaching friends. 
Now, you mentioned your community college days, not the glorious life of coaching that uh, perhaps people uh, see you in now. Can, do you have any good community college stories? You know, oh, I got a ton. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know what? I'm really grateful that that's where I got my start. And I know a lot of young coaches get into the profession as a, uh, uh, an assistant coach at a big-time program, and they don't appreciate some of the things that, that, you know, I had to go through. I remember at Big Ben, now this is a program that had lost, before I got there, 55 straight league games. 50 straight, it's been about five years. And, um, um, you know, and there, I had no assistant coach. In fact, I made $1,250 as the men's assistant coach there. That's why I, I went there, and, and I had to plow potato fields at 5 o'clock every morning. That's potato country up there. That's fantastic. And, and, uh, just to make ends meet. And taught a couple of activity courses at the, at the college, and, uh, you know, just to make enough money. I lived in the dorms. And, uh, you know, and then when I took the women's job, the head job, no one else wanted it. And they said, well, do you want to do it? And I go, sure, because it was $2,500 for the year. That doubled my salary. <laughs> and again, I had no assistant coach. So I had to, you know, sweep the floor before every game. I had to uh, pull the bleachers out. I had to set the score clock up. I had to call the student worker who had forgotten that they had to be there to, you know, run the cash box. I did the laundry after the game. I drove the van when we were on the road. Um, you know, and so what it did, it, I, I think it really made me appreciate uh, what I have now. And, uh, and, I've, and I've always, I look at those three years at Big Ben very fondly. I, I had a great experience. Some of those coaches in that league are still good friends of mine and still stay in touch. And, and a lot of those players, you know, uh, are high school coaches now. They're, they're, they're their mothers, you know, I've recruited some of their kids. You know, it's uh, it, it was a great time. I, I really appreciate my time at Big Ben. Great. Um, do you own a suit? <laughs> yeah, for weddings and funerals, you bet. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fair. It's a fair question. And it's funny, you know, junior coach. That's why I started that. I, you know, I would wear sweats to all our games. You know, I didn't. I didn't dress up there either. Sometimes, you know. A certain time, maybe, but never a jacket. But, well, well, I can look nice if I have. To. I can clean up okay. <laughs> well, I will say, you're. If people don't know you, you're you're a bigger guy. Um, you're you're very tall. You're oh, yeah. an imposing figure, but especially, I'm sure Oregon has helped. But you've kind of you've uh, adopted a, a level of swag, especially with your shoes, which uh, which makes me laugh because you're a you're a large bald white man, and you've got all this great swag going on. <laughs> Okay. No, it's a compliment. I just, what's is that the, what's the, question? the question is is that is that something that you just kind of grew into, or you've always been kind of a guy that you know is is even in just dressing down per se for games. Is that is that something that you've always done, or you know has that developed since being at Oregon when you guys you guys have some great gear? Yeah, you know how it, how it came about Gonzaga. You know, I always wanted to do something like this, but but never did. You know, we always wore a jacket and tie and. Uh, or a suit, and um, and then when I got here, it just, uh, I, I don't know, I was talking with uh, our, you know, the Nike women's basketball rep, Lauren Westendorf, and I just kind of suggested to her, man, I'd really like to go casual, and, you know, what, what if we just went with some matching, you know, polos and that kind of stuff, and she looks at me, she goes, really? And I go, yeah, I would totally do something like that. She says, Kelly, we've been looking for a staff to do that, to outfit, to show off our shoes. And, and I said, well, in, we're in. I yeah. talked to our administration, and they said, well, sure, that would be great. And so it was really Nike's kind of idea. I just We just happened to be talking one day, shooting the ball, and and, uh, and then the rest is history. So, yeah, they outfit the managers, uh, trainer, our weight coach, you know, every everything. And, and it's, uh, it's kind of caught on, I think, a little bit. There are a lot of coaches that say, man, I wish we could do that. And I said, well, why don't you? And, sure. oh, well, I don't know. So I know a lot would like to do it. They just haven't pulled the trigger yet. Yeah. Well, hey, thank you. Thank- who, who started the, the wearing a jacket and tie anyway? It, it's, you know, it's a good question because we're, we're in a gym playing a sport, so it doesn't really actually fit what we're doing, right? 
It will exactly and manage, you know, baseball managers, they wear a uniform for crying out loud. You know, volleyball coaches, they all dress, you know, casually and football coaches run the gamut, uh, but they're fairly casual and uh, it's just kind of, you know, and then there are some basketball coaches, Bob Huggins and his, you know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, half sleeves or, you know, whatever they wear. Bobby Knight had his sweaters. But for whatever reason, people like to dress up, and it, it doesn't always fit. So I, I kind of like what we do, and we're going to stick with it. Great. Uh, thank you for saving my terrible question, by the way, with a great answer. So thank you for that. Oh. <laughs> well, no, you had mentioned my weight. And, yes, i got to get that down. It's going to kill me at some point. It's not like we don't have a stressful uh, Occupation here, so. For sure. Now, if I uh, if I if I've heard correctly through the grapevine, you are a huge music fan. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I like to listen to that. I've uh, I've been t- I've been told, and maybe this is inaccurate, but I've been told that you know when you can, when the when the off season comes, that you and you and your wife like to get out to to some concerts. Is that uh is that accurate? And if so, what's the last concert yeah. you went to? Yeah, we do enjoy that. Yeah, no no doubt about it. What's the last one you went to? Uh, let's see. Well, that would have been probably... I was supposed to go to Miranda Lambert here a month or so ago, but I, I gave my tickets away to Mary's friends, my wife's friends. I, ultimately, I just couldn't pull the trigger on that one, big guy. Uh, <laughs> oh, man, I, I don't know. Just in the last year, I, I like kind of the old rock and roll. I did a Doobie Brothers Easy Top. Uh, which is fun, and believe me, around here in Eugene, there was a certain haze that was above <laughs> the entire amphitheater. Under, uh, understood. That's a, that's a West Coast. West Coast is a little different. That was, yes, yes, that was a little different experience even for me in, in this area. Um, you know, Fleetwood Mac's our favorite. Uh, we, we love going to the Amtrak Brown. I think I went to here recently, Coldplay, same. So, you know, we, it runs the gamut for us. Great. What is something, and this can you can take this however you want to take it, but what in your life, and you've accomplished quite a lot, what in your life are you most proud of? Oh, that I have three great sons. Uh, Max, Jack, and Will are uh, the, the finest young men you're going to see, respectful, they're smart, um, they're, you know, they're, they're talented, um, they treat their mom right. <laughs> uh, I... I, I I'm really proud of all, all three of them. Great. Um, you know, and they've been real close to the program, and, and they, they love basketball, and, and they've loved hanging around, you know, my team over the years. Great. Well, again, this is Kelly Graves with us, head coach at Oregon. Coach, I've, I appreciate you being open with us about some non-basketball-related uh, stuff. But uh, <laughs> to be fair to your, your team, which definitely deserves credit, again, Pac-12 champions, you're the two-seed in the Spokane Regional. You'll play Seattle in the first round is um, was there a moment last year in the tournament uh, you guys made a, a made a run through obviously as a seven seed and and perhaps I don't know if this is fair you, you might disagree but I thought you kind of overachieved based on how young your team was um, but, but when you run into who you ran into was was there ever a moment in that game where it was like oh okay yeah we still got a ways to go or was it more you know hey we'd love to play them again in the future because I, we feel good about what we got well, in that particular game, I knew we were in trouble at the tip. <laughs> you know, that, we, we, we weren't ready for that. And, and I'm glad we ended up playing UConn just because, you know, that they're the bar. They, they've set the bar for the rest of us. I, I like to give them that, you know, we tired them out so that the next game, Mississippi State beat them. <laughs> that was because they had to work so hard in their 40-point blowout to us. Um, but with one day to prepare with that young team, we, we just weren't ready for the speed of the game. And, uh, and I knew it was going to be difficult going in. I mean, we did our best to, to motivate the kids and prepare them and, and, and make them believe. But, but the reality was we just weren't ready for that in Bridgeport, you know. Um, but, you know, during that run, I, I think, uh, you know, here's the funny thing. You know how this, this deal is? We play Temple in the 7-10 game, right? They're the seven. We take the lead with, I don't know, three or four seconds to go, and they push the ball down court, and they have, in essence, a layup, a layup. And Ruthie Hebert got literally a fingernail on that on that shot, and it affected 
it enough to where they missed. But they would have won the game if she makes that layup. as a one-point game. If that ball goes in, we're not in the preseason top ten. Yeah. We don't have the same confidence. We don't have the opportunity then to beat Duke and then beat Maryland. You know, um, that's what happened. Things just fell our way. And we played great in those two games. And we were better than those two teams in those games. But that Temple game, it came down to a fingernail. Isn't that funny? And now this year, so we start the season in the top ten, and then we've, we've grown from there. But who knows? If, if she makes that shot, who knows what, what this season holds? It, it's, uh, it's pretty fragile what we do. Yeah, it is. That's a great point. And I'll get you out on this one, too. The fact of the matter is, it, it did it did get blocked, right? It didn't go in, and you made the run. Yeah. And you are preseason top ten. You play great all year. You're a team that, by all accounts, it seems like if 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 another team looks at you and says, "Hey, first to 100 wins," it seems like you're saying, "All right, deal." Uh, you're you play a fun style of basketball, and your kids have adapted to you. And I've I've read previously about you talking about how you 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 normally sit during games because you you've got a big voice. You've got this. Um, again, when you're a big guy, so you don't want to be too too much. That's good. That helps attendance. That's good for you. But what what is it about this your team uh, in particular that because you while you sit down for specific reasons, it does give off a, a sense of of confidence in your team, and your team plays with that same type of confidence. What is it about the collection of kids you have that make them so special? Well. We recruit basketball IQ, we recruit skill, and we recruit kind of a competitive spirit. Uh, And that's what our players have. And I I don't want my players to look over at me every possession. Okay, what are we going to run now, coach? You know, I want them to play freely. And I I think if if they know I have confidence in them, that they're going to have confidence in themselves and and in their teammates. And I just think that's a better way to play. And and I, I... I've always been of the opinion that coaches lose more games than they ever win. You know, just let your players play. And, uh, you know, and, and some coaches, that, that it might work for them. They micromanage. But I, I like to just let them go, and they're going to make some mistakes, but they grow from it. And I think the confidence that you can instill in them by just letting them play, uh, I, I think far outweighs the, the, the negatives. So, um, yeah, that's just kind of the... Uh, the philosophy I've adopted. I, I sometimes will, I, I'll get a text message from a coaching friend saying, "You look like you were asleep in the game, coach." <laughs> but you know, Sabrina doesn't need me to to, to, to micromanage. Mike Kazorla. I mean, those kids can play. They understand the game every bit as well as I do. Sure. And um, and so we 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 allow, we allow them a lot of freedom, and I think it, it helps. Oh, that's great, and. You know, Coach Gray was named a finalist, one of the four finalists for Coach of the Year, uh, National Coach of the Year this morning. So congrats to you on that, and uh, congrats on such a successful run. And you got a chance, obviously, to to make a run. I know you're I know you're a, a one game at a time kind of guy, so I'm not going to ask you to look down the bracket. But uh, best of luck. I know I'm one of many that enjoys watching you play, and I uh, hope to see you guys end up in Columbus. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on today. All right, Coach. Good luck, and we'll see you down the road. All right, Coach. So Kelly Graves there with Oregon joining us. I really do appreciate the fact that he saved my terrible swag question. I shouldn't say swag. And I, I said it before. It, this whole podcast is really going to rely on other people being around the table. Uh, one, to ask better questions than I ask, but two, to save me from myself. So I'm just sitting here by myself, and it's, it's a dangerous thing. So we're going to take a break, and we'll come back with South Florida head coach Jose Fernandez. I'm Blake Dudonis. And we're back with the jump around with Blake Dudonis. I am here now with the head coach of USF South Florida and Jose Fernandez. And coach, you've been doing this for a while and you've been doing it all at the same exact place when you started your tenure at USF, it was under some pretty different circumstances than your than your usual thing. For you to still be there now uh, in 2018, how incredible of a journey has that been? Again, the way it started to, to where it is now with you guys as one of the most consistent programs in the country. Blake, 
thank you for having me on, and uh, it's great that you're you're putting on this podcast to uh, spread the word about women's basketball. We need we need the most coverage uh, for our game, and it's great that you're putting this on. I got a really great opportunity at a young age, uh, like you said, took over a program in 2000, and have been here ever since. But uh, that first year was tough because we went through a lot of things. I, I was named interim coach and. Um, uh, at that time, the interim athletic director was Leroy Selman. Uh, and uh, that next day, I was on HBO Real Sports with Eric Carrillo and Brian Gumble with what was going on with the program. Uh, and that was a really tough year, but uh, again, it was a great opportunity for me at a young age uh, to take over a program that didn't have a lot of tradition, didn't have a lot of history. Um, really didn't worry about what we didn't have and uh, just got to work. And that first year was tough. We, we, we only won four games, but we had a great turnaround in year two, won 14 games. And we went to postseason our fourth year to the NIT, and that was the first postseason in school history. And after that, we've been the postseason ever since, every year except for one. So I think uh, I'm really excited. The players that, that, that have put this program where it's at and uh, the, the, all the assistant coaches and staff members that that uh, have have been a part of a part of this along the way. Yeah, and then you're a guy who's born and raised in Florida, so you've been home pretty much your entire life, which is a, a pretty unique situation there. And uh, I know part of your background is your heritage, and it's funny because I don't know how many college coaches there are in the country that are able to speak Spanish with their their players and with your internationally. Um, diverse roster, I, I'm, I'm sure that comes into play sometimes, yeah? Yeah, it does, and it helps with, uh, with recruiting, definitely when you're in Spain and Portugal and recruiting in some of the Spanish-speaking countries. But, um, in Miami, born and raised, went to Miami-Dade Community College, then to, then to FIU, and uh, coached at Barry University down in Miami, and coached high school boys and girls in the Miami area, and uh, I've been here uh, in Florida uh, for 18 years at South Florida. Uh, I do not like the cold weather unless we're going to go ski for four days. And that's, <laughs> enough, that's enough for me. <laughs> fair enough. Now, to be fair, too, part of, uh, part of that heritage of yours, too, is uh, it comes with a little emotion, and you are an emotional coach, to, to say the least. That's fair, right? That's a fair uh, characterization. It's fair to say, not, a, not as emotional as my good friend, uh, who's uh, Don's uh, counterpart at, uh, at uh, South Carolina and Frank Martin. We both went that fight <laughs> together. He's a good friend. Not as emotional as him, that's for sure. That's hey, that, he, he sets a pretty tough bar in that regard. Now, yeah, he's got more facial expressions. <laughs> that's for sure. Now, when, uh, let's step away from basketball for a minute. You're a guy that enjoys... When you can, which we all know, I mean, you know, maybe two weeks a year you're able to take a break. But you're you're a big fisher, right? Love to fish. That's uh, that's uh, that's a relief. Um, so I really enjoy being out on the water. Um, it's good that I have a lot of friends with boats, and I have a lot of captains that take me out because uh, that would be too much work cleaning cleaning it and taking care of it. So I'm, I'm okay. That's the best of both worlds, then. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. That's great. And I also know, uh, from what I've read, too, you're, you're a, uh, a bit of a red wine connoisseur. Is that fair? That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. I enjoy, enjoy red, red wine and, uh, and uh, got into collecting, uh, collecting bourbon about uh, two and a half, three years ago. So, uh, you know, both, uh, both interesting hobbies. Okay, I'm, I'll tell you what. I'm I'm a bourbon guy myself. Do you do you have a, a current favorite? You know what? I have. Uh, let's see. Uh, we just uh, we just uh, just finished building a bar at our house, and um, we I got probably about 180 bottles of bourbon. But my my go-to, I, I like blends. I'm a big fan of blends. Okay. All right. Yeah, I like I like blends too. I like anything Buffalo Trace is is kind of down my alley and. Um, my wife got me a, a nice bottle of, of Booker's for my birthday last year, which is still being slowly, slowly drained as I, you know, try to keep the good stuff there for a while. Yeah, and they're only releasing four releases now a year rather than six, so Booker's is good. 
Good. Yeah. All right. Well, I know where to. I know where to come next time I'm in Tampa. Next year for the Final Four, I'm, I'm going to swing by your house. Without a doubt. Without a doubt, you'll go through the Fernandez Burbank. <laughs> <laughs> now, well, to come back around to your team, I know for anyone who doesn't know, South Florida is uh, in the Albany region. They're the sixth seed. They'll be taking on the 11th seed Buffalo Bulls. Uh, and then if they win that, we'll likely take on Florida State. Now, you and I were talking before we hopped on here about your seed. I know you were hoping you guys would be a host. Um, you guys finished 26-7, and 13-3 in conference. You finished with an RPI of 14, uh, which is pretty darn good. And you, But you ultimately got stuck with the sixth seed. Um, and I will go ahead and get out of your way and let you talk a little bit about what we were talking about as far as, as that seeding goes and just kind of how the committee has approached seeding overall. You know, and first, once that happened, I, you know, we, I really didn't talk to the team, and we met the, the next day. You know, and I, I just told them, this, listen, this is a great life, life lesson. There's going to be things in life that, you're, that you think you deserve and, and, and you want, and you're not going to get you know, for one reason or another. Uh, and there's two avenues that you can go. You know, you can really uh, put this behind you and, and look forward and accept Except being in the NCAA tournament, there's, there's, there's 300 teams that would like to be playing in this thing, and they're not. You know, we're fortunate to be one of them, and we, we need to press ahead. And one of the things that before the season started was our goal was to make it to the second weekend and beat it. And we've never made it to the Sweet 16. So with that being said, that was a message to our team, and we've had two very good practices. Now going back to that to that seed and uh, – my thing is this: I watch I watch a men's tournament every year, and uh, uh, you watch the men's basketball selection show, and they go through that. And then you have Jay Billis, Seth Greenberg, Jay Williams, you get, Dick Vitale, and they all scrutinize the bracket, the regions where they're sent, the seeding, who didn't make it. We have our selection show, and there's no there's no dialogue on why teams are seated, strength of schedule, RPI, sites. There's nothing like that. You know, and I think we're doing our game a disservice not to bring up those conversations. You know, the only thing that, that our fans are able to do, okay, tweet the commissioner uh, your questions. Well, she's going to get the questions, and, you know, we can spin those answers any way we want and, uh, and, and be prepared for those type of questions. I, you know, my thing, I would be doing a disservice to my players not speaking my mind because this team had a great season. We won 26 games. We went out and scheduled people. You know, in our non-conference, we played eight top 100 uh, uh, teams and three between 100 and 200. So 11 of those games were very good basketball games that we went out and scheduled. You can control your non-conference schedule. You can't control your league schedule because that's the league you play in. You know, I think last year we're the fifth strongest league, or this year we're the seventh strongest league in the country. So that might hurt us a little bit. But with an RPI of 14 and with a strength of schedule of, uh, of 24 and a non non conference strength of schedule 39, when you do the S curve, we fall as the 24th ranked team in the country uh, when seeding comes into play. And I don't think you should you should be penalized. You know, uh, getting sent to, to, as far as geographically because you're close to a, another host institution. It's not. I mean, it's not fair to Florida State for us to go up there to six feet, in my opinion. It's not fair to fair to them. You know, and if we're talking about you know having the best tournament, you know, uh, women's basketball. There's only two or three schools in this in the country that make money. You know, if the women's basketball tournament is losing money, you know, the men's basketball tournament is a billion-dollar industry. But, you know, they talk about geographics. And, you know, you're looking at some regions where 10 schools are put on planes and two of them are busing to their sites. In, in the Albany region, you only have... Four, you, you only have four schools that are getting on an airplane. The other eight are busted. So if, if, we're, if we're creating a tournament based on saving money and busing, it's not, it's not a true 
indication of a true basketball tournament, you know, and I think that's what happened with uh, with our seed, you know, and it's disappointing. It's not fair to the student athletes that you we go out and schedule the way that we do and we play the way we did. We lost to Connecticut uh, the last game of our season by 16 points. We're down 14 at the half. Okay, they're the, they're the number one team. They're the best team in the country. We lost to Notre Dame over Thanksgiving by ten. So, no, we did a pretty good job playing two of the two of the top four seeds in the country. You know, I heard the I heard the committee chair state that uh, you know Oklahoma got in because they had a top twenty five win. So if our, if their win at home against us was strong enough to get them in the tournament. And we're a six seed. That I don't get it. Sure. So those are my thoughts. Yeah. No. And I think that's fair. And um, you look at someone like Oklahoma, and that's I'm glad you brought that up because that's kind of what my thought process was. Was look, they scheduled very hard. They're one of the best schedules uh, in the country, but they lost most of those tough, tough games. So you you look at a guy, a team like you, who also beat a really good Ohio State team by a lot. Um, and you beat them late in the season too. So you guys, you, and, and like you already said, you you lost to to UConn in that last one. But you guys are also trending upward at the end of the season. So I, I certainly I, sh- I share in your sentiments. Yeah, and uh, you know it's tough because you really look at the you really look at the committee, you know, and you look at the committee and you go, okay, uh, the committee members. You have you have seven seven of those ten committee members come from non non power five, non football five uh, uh, institutions or leagues, you know? You had uh, so yeah the power five representatives were Colorado, Notre Dame and the FCC assistant commission. So, you know, I just I just uh, I just think uh, uh, we gotta do more, take a look at take a look at uh, non football five schools and and the way that some of these schools get scheduled and the way they get seeded. And, you know, like, like you said, we, we played we play Connecticut 15 times in the last five years, and I think our program gets judged on how we do it in Connecticut and not enough on, all right, we beat Ohio State, we beat Dayton, we beat George Washington. Uh, we did our part in the non-conference going out, going out to play people, and I thought we scheduled. We scheduled really, really, really well, and we're playing our best basketball at the right time as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, Jose Fernandez, head coach of USF with us. Coach, we'll try to end on a, uh, a lighter note at least. Uh, you, obviously, coach the women's team. You've got five daughters. You've got your wife. Um, man, that's uh, you're wrong a lot, right? I'm wrong all the time. Sometimes you, you got to lose some battles to win Household, and uh, we also got five dogs, so it's, uh, uh, it's, a, it's an interesting atmosphere. Yeah, no doubt. And, and I'll get you on this too. And maybe, maybe this would have tied in with what when we were talking about your emotion earlier. But you, you're someone who's never really been afraid, as you just proved, to vocalize your feelings. Um, and so often in coaching, you know, we we get coach speak, right? Uh, you know, uh, we're going to give 110%. We're focused on the next game, et cetera, et cetera. It's the same cliches. W- what gives you that? I don't know if it's confidence or, or what it is, but why are you so unlike uh, many of your colleagues in that you're willing to kind of put, put your thoughts out there and consequences be damned? Well, uh, I just think we, we just need to move the needle. We got to do better. We got to do better for our student athletes and for our game, you know, uh, I think we spend so much so much time discussing things that don't matter. I know. Listen, we've changed the game with the quarters and the twenty-four and and, and and I think we can still change it even more with a twenty-four second shot clock and play faster. Uh, but uh, from a grassroots level, uh, volleyball, softball, women's soccer, and what they what they have done with their coaching certification program, all these things are catching up. I think we spend so much time on things that don't, you know, we spend much time on, on coaches' packets and, and, and recruiting and AAU coaches and certification, you know. I just think, like, how can, how can we 
get more marketing and promotion and get more fans involved and get more people in the seats, you know? And uh, I just, you know, I just think we, we need more people covering our game that are going to talk basketball next to the nose, you know, and not shopping and dance and videos and <laughs> what they watch on the movies. You know, I, yeah. I, I don't think, you know, we don't. You know, you watch women's, some women's basketball games and play-by-play and, and, and analysts that, that uh, it's a lot different when you watch a men's basketball game. You know, and that's being, I'm being perfectly honest. I think, uh, you know, ESPN has to do a much better job with women's hoops and providing more writers. They don't have enough writers. You got Michelle Popo and Graham Case. I got a team with eight international players. And we've gone to the NCAA tournament now five of the last six years. And we haven't had a story done on that. Yeah. And I got one of the best SIDs in the country, you know? Yeah. Uh, so uh, we, there's so many more stories out there than the five or six teams that you can go on ESPN, women's basketball every day, and those are the teams on that. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, I've voiced a similar complaint, so we agree. And, and forgive me for holding you a little bit longer than I anticipated doing, but I don't know if you would agree with this. I had this discussion with someone not long ago. I think part of it, too, and you alluded to it earlier, for the men's side, you've got people that are on TV willing to, to argue and debate, and it, it almost seems like if you if you argue or debate on our, on our side that you're going to hurt someone's feelings or someone's going to get up. It's almost as if you're not allowed to argue and you're not allowed to say, hey, so-and-so shouldn't be in. They stunk this year, or hey, this... You know, this team's overrated. It's almost like we can't do that, which would certainly add an element to our game. And I don't know why that's the case. Maybe that's, I don't know, people are afraid to lose their jobs or they're told by producers and and, uh, and the networks that they can't talk about that and they're just there to call the game and, 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 and not, uh, not bring up the NCAA committee, not bring up the WBCA, uh, and not talk poorly about uh, different programs. I don't know. I don't know what's the case. Yeah. Well, regardless, I appreciate your candidness. Uh, I appreciate you coming on and taking some time with us and being so open. Again, South Florida is the sixth seed in the Albany region. They will be taking on Buffalo. And then if they win, uh, they will be taking on the winner of Florida State and Little Rock. So, Coach, thank you again. I really, really appreciate you taking time to talk to us today. Thank you, Blake. All right, good luck. So Jose Fernandez with us there, and man, what a uh, what a refreshing point of view as far as candidness goes. Uh, Coach Fernandez has done a pretty great job with that Bulls program, full of internationals, like he said, and I couldn't agree more uh, as far as the points of uh, our coverage. I think that kind of goes on all of us, and Look, we got to be willing to, to disagree with things. We got to be willing to, to put our voice out there and be willing to go back and forth a little bit. So, uh, certainly, I've never been accused of being afraid of sticking my face in the buzzsaw. So, I'll probably continue to do that on Twitter. And now that I've got a podcast, look out. All right, we're going to take one more break and we're going to come back with Jason Flowers, the head coach of Cal State Northridge, uh, an interesting guy that perhaps you haven't heard much from before. And we'll I think you'll enjoy his conversation. I'm Blake Dudana. And we are back. Jump around with Blake Dudanis. And joining me now is maybe a name you're not as familiar with, especially if you're not out on the West Coast. It is the head coach of Cal State Northridge, Jason Flowers. And Coach, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Uh, congratulations on your team's NCAA tournament berth. And before we get into your team, you've got a, a very unique uh, backstory as far as your upbringing and kind of where you've gotten to today. Um, I, I know you've been ra- you were raised by a single mother and spent a lot of time uh, living with your aunt growing up. Can you can you give us an idea of, of what your, your childhood looked like? Um, you know, my childhood was... Uh... My childhood was one filled with uh, with people who uh, who cared and and uh, and loved me. Uh, you know, it wasn't um, 
we grew up, uh, my, my family's from Watts, um, you know, and, and as a kid growing up, growing up in, in that kind of environment, that's all you know. So, you know, my, my childhood was, uh, you know, at the time, uh, it, it was great. It was, it was, uh, like I said, because, because of the people, obviously the environment and the situation, uh, is difficult and tough at times, but, uh, because of the people, especially my mom, um, you know, I, I never felt anything, but, uh, but love. And, you know, she always, she, she made sure to remind me as much as she could that, you know, I could, I could do anything that I wanted to do growing up. And so, you know, those are the things that, that were instilled in me, um, growing up. And so, uh, you know, but along the way, you know, obviously I played, played sports. And so growing up with a, with a single mom, my, my coaches were my father figures. And so because of sports and because of athletics and, Obviously, eventually, because of basketball, you know, I've been able to do things that, you know, growing up in Watts, I didn't, I didn't ever think uh, I'd be able to uh, to experience or accomplish. Um, and so, you know, because of that, you know, it kind of led me into uh, led me into coaching. I wanted to be the same kind of influence on young people that that my coaches were on me. So, uh, so yeah, it was again, it you know, maybe uh, maybe trying at times, um, you know. A little bit of adversity, but like I said, I was always surrounded by people who uh, who loved me and protected me and made sure that, that I knew that I could accomplish anything that I wanted to. Yeah, well, and one of those things that you did want to accomplish growing up was to to be a UCLA Bruin and to play on the basketball team, and you got that chance, and then they threw you to the curb, right? Yeah, you know what the the, the UCLA story is is um, you know it, it was the deal where growing up, you know UCLA was uh, was the place. Uh, that I wanted to play, um, you know, I, I graduated high school when I was 16 years old. Um, so I was probably five, 10, 145 pounds at the time. Uh, there was very little bass in my voice, uh, whatsoever. Um, and so, you know, I, uh, I walked in there as a, uh, as a 17 year old, you know, I turned 17 during the summer. Um, and it was a team that was, that was a year removed from the national championship. Um, so, you know, Charles O'Bannon and Cameron Dollar and Toby Bailey and, all of those guys were Chris Johnson. All of those guys were uh, were still on that team, and, and I just got beat up for a week. Uh, Cameron Dollar was the guy that beat me up in particular. Um, and uh, you know, it was Jim Harris last year there, uh, full circle. Um, and um, you know, and so uh, you know, I, I got cut after uh, after a week of practice um, and went back to my old high school uh, and coached with my my high school coach, who is. Uh, one of them is now our director of ops here uh, at CSUN. Um, and so, you know, I, I got a chance to practice with the team and work out a little bit and, and, and play. And, uh, you know, obviously I got older and physically matured. And so I ended up deciding to transfer to UC Irvine, uh, played there for two years, um, learned a lot, uh, learned how to really compete um, at the college level. Um, and then had the opportunity to go back. Uh, to UCLA, uh, that door was opened by you know Cameron Dollar, who ended up being an assistant for uh, for us at, at UC Irvine, uh, helped me grow a lot. Um, and then obviously Coach Lavin gave me gave me an opportunity. And you know, speaking of just kind of how things come together, you know, my, my high school coach used to have season tickets at UCLA, and it was Section 306, and it was literally the very top row in Pauley Pavilion. Uh, and you know, we used to go at times. Um, and I, I remember sitting up there and just watching the games, hoping, you know, one day to be down there on that floor. And, uh, you know, once I went back to UCLA and was on the team and, and those kind of things, every time I walked out for practice or every time I walked out for games, the first place I looked was Section 306 on that very top row. It was a reminder of how much, how far, you know, yeah. things had gone. And, and so that's, uh, you know, the UCLA story is, uh, is great. You know, I, I met my wife at UCLA. Yeah. Um, a lot of a lot of great things happened uh, for me at Eastside. That's yeah, that's incredible. And your wife is now what a unique situation for you two. The the soft the head softball coach at Cal State Northridge, and you guys have both won conference championships. So it's pretty, it's a unique opportunity to even get to work at the same place as your spouse. Let alone the fact that you're both so successful on a high level. Yeah, and it was uh, you know I tell people all the time uh, me. me Mary, my wife, was the greatest recruiting job uh, I've ever done by far. It's not even close. Um, you know, she's a, uh, she's a two-time she's a two-time Olympian. 
you know, a gold medalist and a silver medalist in softball. Like, uh, like you just said, she's she's a she's a great coach as well. She's been the coach of the junior national team. Um, you know, an assistant on the on the senior national team. Uh, you know, and for, for us to be able to to share in this journey together in, in, you know, in the same profession, obviously different sports, but uh, be able to bounce ideas off each other. And, you know, part of, I think part of, uh, you know, my growth, hopefully in development as a coach, uh, was as a young age, being able to, uh, being able to listen and watch and observe her and her teammates um, as they, uh, you know, as they competed on the, uh, on the highest levels. Um, and so, you know, it's it's just it's been a blessing all the way around. Yeah, amazing. Any trash talking uh, in the home that goes on every now and then? Any playful trash talking? Uh, you know what, what's 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 funny is is there's been times where you know obviously as a as an athlete or as a player, you know her her accolades are far out outweigh mine. It's not <laughs> it's not even close. Uh, you know, she like I said, she's an Olympian. Yeah, and that's a tough one to be American and you know all of that stuff. Uh, but so we get to use we get to uh, we get to see son and. You know, one of one of our, I think it was our second, our third year at CSUN, we upset UCLA at UCLA. And so, you know, I, I think I had the bragging rights at oh, home. Yeah. And then later that year, the softball team upsets UCLA. <laughs> uh, so that goes out of the window. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then we win, we win a conference championship. And then, like a year later, like she wins a conference championship, or like later that year, she wins a conference championship. So it's, uh, you know, it's kind of the anything you can do, I can yeah. do better uh, yeah. situation. Um, but uh, like I said, it's, it's it, there, there's definitely competition uh, at the high. We we even we even compete when it comes to team GPAs. Uh, yeah. So uh, so it, it, it's all in front. Of, it's all in front though. Well, if it makes you feel better, my my wife we got married last year, and she's an assistant on Mississippi State's team. So they right. go to right. the national championship game. So the, the the running joke in the family is that Blake gave his wife the second most impressive ring of 2017. So I feel I feel your pain, my friend. I feel it. Uh, man, so to get to your current team a little bit, and part of something I found interesting is that you're, you're a rap fan, and you've actually have, in the past, put in your locker room some lyrics uh, from some, some different rap artists in your locker room. That's, uh, that's a pretty different kind of approach. I'm sure you know that. Uh, you know what? It, I think it is, but I think, you know, it's... It, it's probably unique because I'm unique as far as you know. I was, uh, I was the, uh, I was I was 30 years old uh, when I got uh, when I got the uh, the job at, at Cal State Northridge. Um, you know, it was it, it's just me being me, and it, yeah. it's how it's how I communicate with our players. Uh, you know, even though the the things that I talk about or maybe the rap lyrics that I bring up or you know even the even the one that's on our wall, that, that's still on our wall, uh, you know, it's, it's ancient rap to these kids these days. You know, <laughs> I, it, it's, I'm, 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 I'm definitely not into the mumble rap. I haven't, uh, I haven't crossed over into that realm and I don't know if I ever will. Uh, and I, I guess that's how you know when you get old because it was, you know, our parents and, and the older generation, you know, was telling us that our music wasn't, uh, wasn't really music. And now I'm saying the same thing to, uh, now I'm saying the same thing to our kids. But, uh, you know, obviously, you know, it, as a coach, you got to be able to relate. You got to be able to communicate. Um, you know, I think that the kids that come into our program, uh, they come for a reason um, because our vision is is their vision, and their vision um, becomes our vision the longer they're around us. And in order to in order to do that, like I said, it, it has to be a level of communication. You have to find common ground, and so um, you know it's. It's just kind of part of, of, of who I am. It's kind of part of the culture of our program, and you know, it, it's worked for us up until this point. Yeah. Well, before I jump off, I have to ask: Do you have who's your favorite? Do you have a favorite rapper? Oh, Jay Z. It's not even close. Oh, good, good man. All right, we're we're on the same we're on the same wavelength. That's good. <laughs> With you mentioning kind of relating to your players, I find it interesting that. You, you have meetings regularly with your team to discuss non-basketball stuff. And, and a couple months ago, I was fortunate enough to have a conversation with a couple people, including Lindsey Gottlieb out there at Cal Berkeley, about doing those type of things, talking about, you know, race relations in the United States, talking about just, you know, not easy conversations. For you, um, what is, 
why do you do that? I mean, I know it's important, but there's there's so many coaches that shy away from those tough conversations for whatever reason. What for you, you know, what has given you the confidence to go forward and be like, no, we need to we need to talk about non basketball stuff. Uh, I don't I don't think you can truly say that you care about a kid or care about their well being or want what's best for the kids and not talk about that stuff. Basketball is only a smarter part, small part of who young women are. Um, you know, it's and to be honest, the results on the basketball court are a byproduct of who they become as young women. Um, so for us, you know, we have, you know, we call them foundations. Um, you know, it's it's a it's a mixture of social issues. It's a mixture of character building. It's a mixture of leadership. Um, you know, whatever is going on, you know, around them. Um, you know, it's a chance for for us to have a have a discussion about it. And, you know, I think the, the beauty in the beauty in our team is that there is diversity. You know, we have we have a kid from Mexico. We have a kid from New Zealand. We have a kid from Australia. Uh, we have inner city kids. Uh, we have white kids. We have black kids. Um, we have kids from the Midwest. We have a kid from Texas. We have Southern California kids. And they all have a voice because they all have an experience and, you know, and because of the diversity of the group, I think obviously the diversity of the voices, it's a great educational opportunity uh, for for all of them to be learning from each other. And so, you know, part of it is obviously, you know, us as, as adults and, and coaches to act as mentors and kind of, you know, help them navigate the waters, but a big part of this entire process is them learning from each other and growing together. Um, and I think that's what's happened over the season. So, you know, to answer your question, I don't, I don't think you can be a teacher um, and not, and not discuss those things. I don't, I don't think you can say you care about a kid um, and, and not discuss those things because it, it's part of who they are. It's part of the, the world in which they're, they're growing in, um, yeah. And, you know, our job is to is to create leaders. So when they go out, you know, I tell our kids all the time, I, I, when, by the time they leave, I want them to feel like that they can take on the world by themselves. But I want them to be wise enough to know that they can't do it by themselves. And so, you know, it's, it's just, again, a part of our program and, and a part of, of what we try to give our young women. Yeah, no, that's great. And and I'll get you out on this one, talking a little bit about your team. You guys went into this, the tournament as a five seed and up and the top seed to get into the NCAA tournament, which super exciting time. But then, and I know you enjoyed the, the selection show, but then reality sets in. Okay, we got to play a pretty good team in Notre Dame. Um, you guys are heavy underdogs, obviously. What's the approach for you guys going in there as a 16 seed? Obviously, only one of those has ever won. What's what's kind of the mental approach of your team, and, and how, how have you guys done so far building up? I know you guys are out there ready to play tomorrow. Yeah, you know, our mental approach doesn't change. Um, you know, people ask, ask that, you know, throughout our conference tournament, and we've had some success over the last five years uh, in our conference tournament, and, and people kind of ask, you know, what's the, the, the nothing, nothing changes. Um, you know, we – we work hard in, in the off season and during the season and our kids get in the weight room to win games. This game is no different. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, just to tie it all together with the rap and, and Jay-Z, you know, like, like you said, I, I mean, like I said, I'm a big Jay-Z fan and, you know, in the, in the fate, the black, uh, documentary, um, you know, Jay-Z was playing, they were, they were going to play Madison Square Garden, and it was the first time that a rapper had, had done a concert in Madison Square Garden in like 25 years. It was, it was a really big deal. And, uh, and you know, Questlove and the Roots Band are the band he selected for it, and, you know, they're interviewing Questlove in the hallway before, and, you know, they're asking him, like, it, you know, is he nervous? Like, how's he feel? And Jay-Z said, and he said that Jay-Z told him to treat it like it's Boston. <laughs> And it wasn't a disrespect to Boston. It was you go out every single night to put on your best show. So in our program, we we work every single day like it's championship day. That's the expectation. Now it doesn't always get it doesn't always get accomplished, <laughs> and I think that's part of that's part of the uh, the beauty of of teaching uh, is to try to get them to do it even on the days that that they don't want to. But you know, we we put our best effort out every single day so 
tomorrow won't be any different than any other day in our program. The, the expectations are high. We prepare to play against the, the best. And so, um, obviously, like you said, Notre Dame is a really good uh, basketball team, coached by a legend um, in our game. And with all of that being said, we respect we respect them just like just like any other uh, any other opponent. But we're not we're not afraid of anybody. Yeah. Well, last thing for you, just is there is there anything in particular about this team? Uh, again, you you know you're coming from a smaller conference. You're coming from uh, um, the West Coast, so maybe you're not as well known. Is there anything about your team that you would like you know the national base to to know that maybe they don't know about you guys? Um, we we have we have some good players, and they are they are a great group of young women who who have paid the price um, to be successful. And so, you know, I expect us to come out and compete at a high level tomorrow. Uh, we're going to play extremely hard. Um, and we're going to let the scoreboard take care of itself. Yeah, well, that's great. Well, Coach, I can't thank you enough for joining us. It's uh, certainly it's been an interesting journey for you and for you to share it with us. I think we're all a little bit better for it. So thank you so much for taking the time this morning. No problem at all. Thanks for having me. All right. Good luck tomorrow. All right. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. So again, that was Jason Flowers, the head coach of Cal State Northridge, who won the Big West Conference Tournament as a five seed. They upset number one UC Davis and are now a 16 seed in the Spokane Regional. They will take on Notre Dame tomorrow, and they will try to become just second 16 seed ever to upend a number one seed. We're going to take one more break, and then we'll come back here with my final thought. I'm Blake Dudonis. With the NCAA tournament starting this Friday, my focus is around that, but not really. You see, there'll be 64 teams full of talented, strong young women taking the court and displaying their talents. There's one woman, however, who will not be taking the court because her team missed the tournament, but she's perhaps the strongest and bravest of all these players. See, on February 20th, Emily Potter of the Utah women's basketball team took to Twitter to announce that she had written an article. In the article, Potter went on to disclose her personal battle with depression and overall mental health. She describes the feeling of paranoia creeping in around her and her mind telling her lies about herself and saying that at times she felt like she couldn't even get out of bed in the morning. Mind you, this is all while playing for Utah, a team in the Pac-12, so the very top of her sport. Now, Potter finally found the courage to talk to someone about it, and don't be mistaken, it was an act of courage. I don't know about you, but for me, it's hard enough to ask for something inconsequential, you know, a, a fact, directions. I have a hard time even asking for help with those things. So the fact that Potter was able to go in, open up her, her soul and her mind for someone else to know is, is an act of courage. Now, Potter isn't the only athlete dealing with this. And in fact, uh, her fellow Canadian and former Pac-12 member, Ruth Hamblin, who played at Oregon State, penned her own blog this week and detailed her own struggles. Here's actually an entry from Hamblin's journal, and I quote, Why do I even play basketball? Is there a reason why I'm here? Or should I just move on with my life? Surely there's something wrong with me. I have a mental problem. I envision failure, like I know what's going to happen. Why does my mind work against me? It seems like my hardest battles are fought within my mind, but each loss attacks my heart and it's getting weaker. I can't keep fighting." End quote. Now Hamlin was able to find solace through a former teammate and a lot of prayer. And since then she has begun moving forward in her fight. And unfortunately, depression isn't a fair fighter. It comes unexpectedly with no rhyme or reason. And the fact that it is something that remains relevant in these women's lives makes them speaking out even that much more incredible. They're fighting, battling with something, and we ask our athletes to do that all the time, to, to fight, to battle, and they're doing that with something on a significant level. So all of this is just to say thank you, Emily. Thank you, Ruth. Thank you for sharing your story with us and for being brave enough to let us in. Neither of you are alone, and neither is anyone else listening to this. 
Something Emily wrote that really struck me at the end of her article was this. My depression does not define me. I am a sister, a friend, a daughter, an athlete, and a student. I am stronger and more compassionate because of all my struggles. And you are too. You know, in a month nicknamed for unbelievable upsets and historic victories, here's to those fighting depression and other mental health issues and your victory over them. You've got a really big team behind you. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed what you heard, please give us a great review on iTunes or wherever else you listen to podcasts. The reviews really help. If you didn't enjoy it, I hope you'll give us another chance. Like I said earlier, today's episode was a little bit more formal than we anticipate doing in the future, and I think you'll find that when we're at the Final Four in Columbus, we'll have some more people around the table. It'll be a little bit more spontaneous. It'll be a little bit more loose, and I I hope you'll give us another chance. And if you didn't like it, please don't leave a bad review. Thank you. I'd like to thank Kelly Graves, Jose Fernandez, and Jason Flowers for joining me today. I appreciate them sharing their stories and thoughts with us, and we certainly are appreciative of their time. If you have any thoughts, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at Coach underscore Blake underscore. And we appreciate you so much for listening in today. Tomorrow, we'll talk to Lindsey Whalen of the Minnesota Lynx, and we'll talk to Joni Taylor, the head coach of the University of Georgia. Thanks so much for joining me here. This is The Jump Around with Blake Dudonis.